Scripture this morning is Psalm 120. In my trouble, I cried to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? Sharp arrows of the warrior with the burning coals of the broom tree. Woe is me, for I sojourn in Mesech, for I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long has my soul had its dwelling with those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Thanks, Bill. Good morning. Have you ever experienced culture shock? You know, if you travel, you experience some weirdness, right? But if you actually live in a foreign land, you get to experience some culture shock. When I was in college, I spent six months living and studying in England. And I thought, England, you know, it's like America. They speak English. should be no different, really. And, you know, they drive on the wrong side of the road. They have funny accents. But other than that, it should be fine. But over time, as I got a little more into the culture, I began to feel more and more uncomfortable. Things were just different. They did things differently. And it all hit home finally when I decided to go to the store to just pick up some things. And I thought, well, I'll pick up some notebook paper for classes and some other things for a friend. And, you know, I went to find the notebook paper. Well, it's not the same size as our notebook paper. Theirs is 8 by 10 not eight and a half by 11. So it doesn't fit in our notebooks. You know, nothing's quite right. I thought, well, a friend asked me to pick up Q-tips. So I went and asked for Q-tips. They said, what's that? And I thought, it's just a Q-tip, okay? (laughs) I didn't know how to describe it. I didn't know what Q-tip is a brand name, right? But I didn't really think about that. Took them a long time to figure out that I was talking about cotton swabs. And I finally was able to get them. You know, they call things differently in England. They call the hood of the car the bonnet, and the trunk is the boot, and you go on and on. And over time there, I realized how different this was. And I was experiencing some culture shock. And when you experience culture shock, you experience a sense of loneliness, isolation, kind of a lack of control because you're not in normal and comfortable circumstances. In the long run, it creates a longing to go home, to what's familiar, to where you know that you fit. Well, it's interesting in the New Testament, I just want to read a verse before we jump into Psalm 120, from Hebrews chapter 11, wonderful chapter of the heroes of the faith. And beginning at verse 13 of Hebrews 11, it says this, All these died in faith without receiving the promises But having seen them and welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were, now get this, strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they're seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. What this reminds us is that true people of faith live as strangers and exiles 
on earth. We don't fit. (laughs) This should not be a comfortable world for us. Whenever in history the church has settled in to being comfortable with the world around them, it has lost power and effectiveness. Our witness comes from being different from the world. In the U.S., here in America, we've been, I think, far too comfortable as believers for far too long. But as we're beginning to experience more and more, as Bob Dylan said, times they are a changing. <laughs> we're increasingly finding the world to be an uncomfortable and not just uncomfortable, but even a hostile place to live. So what what makes this world uncomfortable for us? What are the things that we should experience if we're following our Lord and living for Him? And how can we respond in a way that pleases God and that builds His kingdom in a world that we don't fit? These are the questions we'll address today as we look together at Psalm 120. So let's begin with a word of prayer, shall we? Lord, you have called us to be yours, to live for your kingdom. You've called us out of the world, and yet we're in it. Lord, we need to learn how to be in the world, but not of it. And so, may you use your word today from Psalm 120 to speak to each of our hearts. May your spirit bring truth to bear on our minds and our hearts, that we might be changed through your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, we're beginning our summer series. We're setting the Psalms of Ascent. You can see on your bulletin covers a wonderful graphic Steve Humke put together and put it together up here. And the Songs of Ascent are Psalms 120 to 134, so we'll be covering those this summer. They were sung, they were compiled, put together Sung, as far as we can tell, we're not absolutely sure, but as far as we can tell, they were compiled, put together to be sung as people journeyed from their homes, wherever they were, for the three feasts, three times a year. Everyone was to come, right, to Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts. And so the songs of ascents are songs that were sung as they ascended the mount to Jerusalem to keep them focused on their journey of faith. And they're a wonderful picture for us, these songs of ascent, psalms of ascent, a wonderful picture of our journey of faith as we journey through life and learn to get closer and closer to the Lord. I love the graphic up here. And it's as you you walk the path and you begin to climb, you, you can't really see where you're going. It's a rough, rocky road. You go behind the rock, you you go down in the valley, you can't see, but you're gradually working your way up to the presence of God. That's our journey in this life. So this summer, we'll take a journey together to explore what it means to walk in faith, especially as you're walking in a hostile land. Psalm 120, then, is the beginning one. It's It's written by a psalmist who is in exile. He's far from home. And he laments the culture shock he is experiencing. He's recognizing, I don't fit here. This world is not our home. And he longs for God's presence and for God's deliverance. Note verse 5, woe is me, for I sojourn, that word sojourn is to 
be a foreigner in a different land, I sojourn in Meshach, for I dwell in the tents of Kedar. The psalmist laments the fact he's far from home. He's a sojourner in a foreign land. He doesn't fit. He says he dwells in Meshach. He dwells in Kedar. Now, actually, these are far from each other, so he couldn't have lived in both places. Meshach is in the north, southern Russia. And Kedar is kind of Saudi Arabia, uh, out in the, where the Bedouins lived. And so he didn't actually dwell in both, but I think he includes both to say, wherever you are, far away from home, far away from Jerusalem, you can relate to my experience. You can relate to the pain and isolation and loneliness of being away from home. Meshach, as I said, is modern-day southern Russia. Meshach was the grandson of Noah, son of Japheth. And he's described these people as they developed over time. They're described in Scripture as being anti-God. They were trade traders. They made a lot of money through trade. They trusted in money and political power, as they're described in Scripture, as opposed to trusting in God. Kedar, as I said, was more in the south, east. It was where Bedouin tribes lived. Kedar was the son of Ishmael. These people were known in Scripture for being anti-God as well. But they were known, rather, for trusting in military might, in physical power, rather than God, described in Isaiah 21. So these together, as the psalmist writes this, They picture for us a world that's hostile towards God, and yet one in which a person of faith, like the psalmist, is having to live in exile. Sounds like us, right? I mean, if we're really honest, but for us, it's a little different. For for the psalmist, he was sent into exile because of the sin of Israel, and he had to go live in a foreign land. But we live in a land where We're still home, but the culture is changing and becoming more and more hostile to our Christian faith. This is a world like Meshach and Kedar that trusts in political power, economic power, military strength and violence rather than in God. And I think throughout the last couple hundred years, the church has fit in too much into the worldview and the culture of America We've tried to use the weapons of the world to have an impact in this world and get things done. But I think God, in his grace, is breaking us. The culture is changing, and God is allowing it to happen for his glory so that we will become more and more strangers and exiles on earth. So we will not fit here, and therefore our faith will become more and more real. I believe this is God's plan for us as his church, to purify us and to empower us that our power might not be worldly but might be truly of the Spirit of God. So what are the things the psalmist most struggles with as he lives in a foreign land? Well, notice verse 2. He struggles first with a culture that's built on lies. He says, Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. He says, Lord, deliver me. From, a, from people who lie. What's he mean? 
I think he's experiencing in this foreign land that he is, whichever one he is in, that everyone around him is basing their life on lies. They were polytheistic nations. They believed there were many gods. There was the god of the sun and god of the moon, god of the storm, etc. And so you had to find a way to appease these gods through sacrifice, through service, through uh, idol worship, burning incense, etc. You need to figure out how to manipulate these gods for your own ends. And so it was very idolatrous kind of culture, and the psalmist is struggling with that. I, I'm surrounded by people who are living for lies because I know the truth. The truth is there is a true God, Yahweh, that we serve and follow, and yet I'm having to live surrounded by people who live in the lies of being on their own, trying to please these gods. Pleasure is most important in life. Immorality was a normal part of life in these other cultures. So the psalmist is struggling with living in a culture that's based on untruths. So he says, deliver me from this kind of world. How about us? What are the lies that surround us in our culture? I kind of picture, if you, if you just want a, a big metaphor to think of, I, I picture that man is in a dark room. Mankind completely dark, and he's stumbling around, he cannot see, and so he runs into things, he feels things, and he's trying to figure out life, and so he comes up with all his own ideas about what life is like because he's living in darkness. He's removed God from the picture, and once you remove God from the picture, you, you're stumbling around, you're living in darkness, and that's the culture in which we live, in which God is essentially removed from the world. As we go through these Psalms of Ascents, I I encourage you to pick up a book and read it if you want to follow along and and be challenged. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson. It's his study through the Psalms of Ascent. And he describes in here the lie. He says, we've been told the lie ever since we can remember. And then he enumerates parts of the lie. Human beings are basically nice and good. Everyone's born equal and innocent and self-sufficient. The world is a pleasant, harmless place. We are born free. If we're in chains now, it's someone's fault. Not mine, of course. And we can correct it with just a little more intelligence or effort or time. He also goes on to quote Abraham Heschel as part of the lie we live by in our culture. Man reigns supreme with the forces of nature as his only possible adversaries. Man's alone, free, and growing stronger. God is either non-existent or unconcerned. It's human initiative that makes history, and it's primarily by force that constellations change. Man can attain his own salvation. I want to just list some other lies that I think influence our culture in a variety of ways. As he said, if there is a God, he's uninvolved, really. We evolved from primordial slime without God's help. Sexual expression is a moral right and should not be restrained. That's a lie that our world lives by. The individual is a king 
So no one can tell me what to do, and I determine my own morality. Another lie of our culture. A common one. Your worth comes from what you own. You see it in the commercials we watch every day. One that's done great damage. A woman's value is in her looks. Now we try to pretend that that's not true, but that's the lie of our culture. A woman's value is in her looks. And every woman struggles with that, from what I can tell. Here's another lie. If you disagree with someone, you hate them. That's part of our politically correct world, right? If you disagree with someone, you hate them. So you may disagree with homosexuality, and we believe we can still love people. But the world says, oh, if you disagree, you're a homophobic. You hate gays. Another lie. Gender can change, but sexual orientation can't. Think of Bruce, a.k.a. Caitlyn Jenner. (laughs) The truth is that sexual orientation can change, but gender can't. But the world's got it twisted the other way. We could go on and on. I'm just giving you a, a sampling of the fact that this whole culture is built on lies and these lies surrounding us. And all this means that if we are to truly follow Christ, we will increasingly find it difficult and painful to live in this culture because it is based on lies, just like the psalmist describes. Lord, deliver me from a culture based on lies. And foundationally, it's because we follow the Lord Jesus and we believe in his truth and his authority and they have no other authority but themselves. And therefore, they're stumbling around in a dark room and cannot see the truth. The light is not on for them. And here's the kicker for us, brothers and sisters. As we mature in Christ, we should feel less and less comfortable in the world around us. As we mature in Christ, we should feel less and less comfortable with the world around us. So the psalmist points to the lies of the world, the fact it's based on untruth. This makes me feel terribly uncomfortable, he says. I'm surrounded by people who speak lies. What else does he say makes him uncomfortable? Well, he says, also, I live in a culture that's based on power and violence. Notice verse 6 and 7. Too long has my soul had its dwelling with those who hate peace. And the word for peace there is shalom, wholeness, completeness. I am for shalom. But when I speak, they are for war. Literally, that verse is translated in the Hebrew, it's I, peace. But when I speak, they, war. They, war. The psalmist laments that he lives in a culture that around him, everyone lives by conflict, by violence, by power. As a follower of Yahweh, as a believer, he knows he's called to live by peace, by shalom, to bring shalom wherever he is, to help people become whole and complete. And yet he's living in a culture that increasingly tears that down and is violent and full of conflict. I, peace, they, war. I'm trying to bring life and wholeness and God's healing touch to this broken world. And yet the world just seems to get more violent. All the time. The the psalmist has grasped 
the calling of a follower of Yahweh, a follower of the Lord, from Psalm, or excuse me, Jeremiah 29, when the people went into exile. Jeremiah 29, we're all, we, all familiar with, you know, if my people, 29, 11, if my people will humble themselves and pray. But we overlook sometimes verse 7. As Jeremiah tells the people who have been sent into exile in Babylon and they're away from home, he says this, verse 7, Seek the shalom, the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its shalom, welfare, you will have shalom, welfare. He says, when you go into exile, seek the shalom, the wholeness, the healing, the peace of the culture in which you live. The psalmist has grasped that and he says, I'm living in this foreign culture and I'm trying to live out peace. I'm trying to live out shalom. And it's tough because there's nothing but conflict. But hasn't this been true in the world ever since the fall? Remember, the serpent comes and brings lies to Eve and she believes the lies. And ever since then, this culture has been based on lies, the culture of the world. And what happened immediately when they sinned? Conflict. Adam and Eve begin to hide from one another and from God. They blame one another. Their two sons have conflict and one murders the other and it's only gone downhill from there on. So, Ever since the fall, that's what's been true of the world around us. It's based on lies, and it's based on conflict and violence. People in conflict because they're demanding their own way, and this creates conflict between us. Conflict reigns in this world from a personal, person-to-person level to between nations. People get married and have great ideals of how they're going to get along. And they end up battling and embittered and often divorced. Fighting and conflict occurs at all levels. Warfare between nations has been increasing in the last 200 years. It's the nature of life on earth. So the psalmist says, woe is me. I try to live out peace, but people don't get it. They misunderstand and and they end up making it a fight. Let me just give you an example, a practical example, the whole idea of same-sex marriage. We know as believers that real wholeness, real shalom, real health comes from living as God created us to live, and that same-sex marriage can only do harm. And so we speak out against it, and we say, no, we want you to have wholeness. We want you to experience what God created the beauty of, of true, healthy relationships with God and with one another and in marriage between genders. But the world looks at that and says, oh, you haters, you judgmental people. And they misunderstand our desire to bring wholeness to people's lives, shalom to people's lives. And so the psalmist says, woe is me because I'm for peace. I want to bring peace, but the world doesn't get it and they're for war. And when I speak peace, what happens? I get conflict. Woe is me. God's called believers to bring peace wherever we are. 
to live as peacemakers in our families, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, in the organizations we're part of, in our marriages. But too often people take it wrongly and they judge us as hateful. They don't want what we have in Christ. And therefore, it's difficult, it's hard, and it's a reminder that we don't fit. This world is not our home. We're strangers and exiles on earth. So what can we learn if if this is us, if we live in a culture that's based on untruths and it's based on violence and conflict and we don't fit because we're trying to speak truth to it and we are trying to live out the truth and we are trying to speak peace to this culture and live out peace, how can we live here in this culture where we don't fit in a way that will bring glory to God and help us fulfill our calling in this world? Well, I think the psalmist gives us four responses that are really helpful for us. Four responses that can help us understand how to live in a foreign culture as strangers and aliens. And continue to be people of faith as we journey in faith. The first, I think we see in verse 1, where the psalmist remembers God's faithfulness in the past. He says this, In my trouble, I cried to the Lord, and he answered me. This is a past tense. Some translations maybe don't put it in the past tense, but it is. And so the psalmist begins by saying, I'm in this messy situation. I don't feel at home. I feel lonely and isolated. It's hard. I don't fit. But I remember how God has been faithful in the past. I remember that when I've been in difficulty and I cried out to the Lord, He was there with me in that foreign land. He delivered me. He's here. He's involved. I can count on Him to be with me and to deliver me in His way and in His timing. Brothers and sisters, that's so critical as we face a culture that's an increasingly hostile, to remember that God's been faithful, not just to us, but to the saints in the Scripture. But notice, you have to know the Word, right? You have to be in the Word. It's critical. If you're going to be reminded of God's faithfulness, you have to read and study God's Word so you have His perspective and you understand the truth and you're reminded of the stories in the Scripture of people who trusted God in difficult circumstances. And be aware of how God has been faithful throughout history to his people, despite tremendous persecution and difficulty. And remember how God has been faithful in your own life. Think back to the times when God has seen you through the difficulties and been faithful to be there with you so that you can see how God has been with you at work, in your family, how he's brought you to Christ, how he's been faithful to be there with you so that you can stand against the lies and the schemes of this world. So first response we see, very important, remember God's faithfulness in the past. Secondly, I think we need to lament honestly. The psalmist does that. He says, man, this is hard. Deliver me. Woe is me. I don't like this. If we just kind of pretend like, well, as a Christian, I should just cruise through life, and gee, it's so easy living in a culture that's hostile to me and based on untruths, then we're missing out. To really have God's life in us, we need to be willing to lament and say, yeah, this is hard. I am uncomfortable. It hurts. We're in exile. Woe is me. 
One of the things Jeannie and I did with our kids when we raised them was we talked a lot about the fact that if they were going to be followers of Christ, they were going to be weird. (laughs) It's okay to be different. It's okay to not fit. It's okay to not have the same values because they would come to us and say, how come we can't do this? How come, you know, they get to, how come this, how come that? And we say, you know what, we're, we're trying to really follow our Lord and the world doesn't and it's okay to be weird. I know it's hard. I know it's uncomfortable. I think that's so important that we teach our young people that it's okay to be weird. <laughs> we're citizens of a different kingdom. We follow a different king. We don't fit here and that's as it should be if we're followers of Jesus Christ. Third response we see in the psalmist is he remembers God's promise to judge. He remembers God's promise to judge this world. Verse 3 and 4. What shall be given to you, speaking now to those speaking untruths, what shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? Sharp arrows of the warrior with the burning coals of the broom tree. (laughs) He reminds himself in the midst of the struggle, this is hard, I don't like it, but you know what? God is going to judge this world. Evil will be defeated. God wins in the end, and that helps him sustain his faith on the journey. We need to remember that this is not all there is. That God is going to bring judgment The evil in this world will be done away with. It does not have the last say. Jesus will return. There will be a new heavens and the new earth where there will be no sorrow, no pain, no isolation, no loneliness, no evil, no untruths, no violence. So this tension we live in today is not the end of the story. God wins. The fourth response I see in the psalmist that I think is very important to remember is where in the last verse he says, I peace. Keep living out peace. Keep being a person of shalom. It's easy when you're living in a world that's hostile to you to want to just hide. You know, let's, let's hide in our little Christian culture. Let's be comfortable and let's let the world out there go to hell. Literally. That's comfortable. But the psalmist says, no, I'm in the midst of people and I'm speaking peace. They don't get it. They don't like it, but I'm peace. I am peace. I'm living it out. I'm speaking it. And that is who I am and that's who I will continue to be. Despite opposition, keep living out peace, I think, is our calling from God. Speak peace. Use your life to bring peace and wholeness to this broken world. Throughout history, the church has been most effective when it has not bought into the world, when it has not been like the world, when it has not depended on political power or economic power or personal power to get things done, which we've tried too much to do in this country. But rather, it's depended on the power of the Holy Spirit as it's depended on God to be different than the world around it and to bring peace in the midst of the violence and the lies. The church has been most effective when it stepped out to care for the poor, to love the oppressed, to bridge barriers, to declare forgiveness of sin in Christ, to embrace the broken, 
to build hospitals and orphanages. In short, the church has been the church most effectively when it's brought shalom, peace, in this dark, deluded, violent world. In First Peter, a book that's much about suffering, Peter says this in chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. And I'll conclude with this. But, Peter says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. What a marvelous calling we have. As a called out people, as a different people, as a people who have received mercy. Through bringing peace, shalom to this world to bring glory to God. And that one day this Gentile world around us will proclaim the excellencies of him who called us because of what they see in us. May we live out shalom in this foreign land. Let's pray. Lord, what a high calling it is to be here. It would be easier if you just took us home (laughs) to just enjoy heaven forever in your presence. But you have left us here for a reason, for a purpose, that we might live out shalom, that we might declare the excellencies of who you are, that we might speak truth in the darkness, that we might live out peace. May we do that, Lord. May we be your people, that you might get all the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.